So welcome to What's the Tease. I'm your host, Pillow Talk. For this episode, my featured guest is the sexquisite powerhouse, Sweet Pea. Hello, Sweet Pea. Hello, Pillow. How are you doing? Um, probably not nearly as good as you guys are doing over in the States. <sighs> the collective exhale. Yeah. Well, at least the other 70 million of you. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. One of the things about doing the podcast, especially like during this time over 2020, it's, it's almost like it serves as a timestamp for where people are in their lives and what is happening in the world outside of just, you know, your burlesque world. Yes, agreed. Did you guys have like awesome celebrations? Were you one of those people dancing in the streets? Uh, I, not so much. We were just kind of walking around the neighborhood um, with our giant Mastiff. We have a 180-pound English Mastiff. And so we took him for a walk around the neighborhood and listened to all of the honking and the cars coming by with the flags. And what was really wonderful is we just live a few blocks away from uh, George Floyd Square, where George Floyd was yeah. murdered. And so um, being able to hear the celebration that was happening down there was just, it's just wonderful. It's just bolstering. Mm -hmm. We were just allowing that pause to take all of it in. So, and people were so happy. Yeah. So Sweet Pea, hailing from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Your royal sweetness is the, one of the pioneers of the Twin City Neo-Balesque movement. And that's like kind of got going around about the early 2000s, right? Correct. Yeah. So how did you first encounter the world of burlesque? Funny enough, I was shared an advertisement for a traveling show. I was in a writer's group and one of my friends who is also privy to in my writings about me being really enamored with the female form and especially vintage lingerie sent me an ad of this gorgeous female in, in mm -hmm. you know, with like some great victory roles. And I had no idea what it was, but I'm like, if there are beautiful women in vintage lingerie, we should probably go. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had no idea what it was. And I showed up and it was funny enough. My very first show was a traveling show with uh, starring Catherine Delish. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and Kitten on the Keys was, was hosting. And it was within like the first... 30 seconds of the first performance that my life changed. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like the, the, the light beam shot down from the heavens and you saw like the, the heavenly G-string float down into your lap <laughs> and you're like, this is absolutely something that I want to experience. Oh, wow. Ah, that moment. Exactly, exactly. And that was, um, I think that was August of 2003. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, later that year in the Twin Cities, a troupe had gotten started. And so I went to go see a few shows and got the courage up to go to the the uh, producer at the time and was just like, hey, I want to try this out. And she was great. She said, awesome, go ahead and create a couple of acts and I will see you next week. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. It was, yes. So it was kind of like a drag challenge and yeah. with uh, without knowing much of how to put it together other than just the little bit that I had been able to see on stage and then what I've been able to find um, in, in books because there was no YouTube then. Mm -hmm. uh, I put some things together and I auditioned on a Wednesday and then she, she told me to come back on that Friday and I performed every weekend for like the next few years in that space because we had shows Thursday, Friday, Saturday 
in, oh, that, wow. in that space that was in. Mm-hmm. So like, did you have any dance experience before that? Uh, just self-experience. I mean, my dance, mm-hmm. I just love to dance. Yeah. So most all self-taught and grew up and, you know, doing house parties or just shaking, shaking my thing with my mother or grandmother in the living room. Mm-hmm. I always joke that my mother is the one who, she was a young mom. She had me as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And whereas most little girls are learning how to make tater tot hot dish in the Midwest, <laughs> you'll mm-hmm. have to look it up. Uh, my mom was taking me or teaching me how to shake my ass to the drumbeat to wipe out. All right. Yeah, so as a little five-year-old, I learned quaking and shimming and all sorts of fun things, and that just kept going. So my love of dance has been lifelong, and then I just picked it up wherever I could, whether it was house parties or music videos or going out to clubs. That's like a total bonus of having a young mother. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. She encouraged it, and oftentimes she would play music when her friends were along around and would would just know certain songs that <clears throat> excuse me that I would really enjoy to shake my thing too and she would celebrate they would all celebrate me being a young girl just enjoying my body mm-hmm. so then like once you started doing um performing like what did you find to be influences for you like in honing your style to what we know today oh goodness I had the honor of going to Miss Exotic World only five months after I had started performing. So my scope of possibility went from zero to 100 very, very fast. And so I was able to show up and participate with what I thought, what my idea of burlesque was. And then I watched everybody else. Like I performed right before Satan's Angel. Oh, wow. On on the night. So my early influences were, they literally went from uh, only having my, the local performers that mm-hmm. I had known and then started performing with. Like I was, my burlesque troupe started with, um, with icons like Ophelia Flame, who mm-hmm. began in the Minneapolis industry and actually uh, was a runner up to Miss Exotic World in 1999. Uh, and so she was the one that really uh, encouraged us all to go to that Miss Exotic World in 2004 when it was still on the goat farm oh, at wow. the end of Route 66. Yes. Cool. <laughs> and the, uh, the Friday night was uh, the was kind of an all together thing. We actually performed together at a, a uh, it was a hotel. I can't I think it was a Holiday Inn in in Barstow. So it was a sort of like an '80s decor, carpeting and paneling that you would expect in a average hotel conference room. And our stage was covered in mylar fringe and had like a shimmery backdrop. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yes, but so back to it, it was lovely to, like, I was terrified, I was excited, and just watched incredible superstar after incredible superstar on that Friday night, which, like I said, included Satan's Angel, who inspired me and terrified me, and the um, the next day in watching the competition, uh, I was there to actually see, and you mentioned Dirty Martini, mm-hmm. as I watched her, you know, I got to watch her win the title as well, and see incredible performers like uh, Harlem Shake. Yeah. And uh, and world famous Bob, Aroshika Bamboo. They're just just you, all the people that you hear of that were really established at like kind of re in the resurgence of burlesque in the late 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So I could just, you know, it just be like a matter of who inspired you. Like basically anyone who gets hits the stage inspires me in some form or facet. So it was kind of like just taking notes of all the possibilities. Yeah that were available when you when you understood what burlesque could entail. 
Yeah. You've enjoyed other taglines like the Energizer Honey and the Equal Opportunity Teaser as well. And I mean, (laughs) the purpose of these taglines is that they give us insights as to who you are as a performer and then also as an individual. So just to break them down a little bit, with the former, um, the Energizer Honey, do you ever feel that there's any pressure to deliver that with each and every performance? I feel like it's inherent. Like I may have different styles of performing where some are going to be more subdued or slow burn than others, but there's always still a desire to, uh, to energetically connect mm-hmm. with an audience. So that, that, that energizer is just that always that I'm trying to shoot that energy out into the audience, that they'll feel it whether they're in the front row or in the, you know, in the back row. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's one of the sort of thing that you don't always pull out all of the big shimmy guns for every single act. You understand, like as an artist, you really enjoy the scope of what we create. I really like doing different things, like probably most of us, where mm-hmm. I don't have a signature style, I guess, other than being, I enjoy just being fierce on stage. But what that looks like in every performance is going to be slightly different. I enjoy creating variety. For sure. And I mean, as the equal opportunity teaser, like how mm-hmm. important is representation in an industry that is for the most part seen as inclusive? Oh, that's a good question. I think that for me, like I received that tagline being hired for more uh, queer events mm-hmm. because obviously as being a pansexual queer femme, it's a sort of thing that I pass unless I out myself. Mm-hmm. And so as a responsibility of a lot of entertainers in burlesque or just taking that opportunity to say we're here and we're queer and let's actually continue to broaden the scope uh, of inclusivity in burlesque and or at least just show the world that it exists when I was doing um, as I've become to work more with the burlesque legends and really getting insight to the history the inclusivity was often there it just wasn't shared because it wasn't safe Mm -hmm. so there were lots of queer performers there were lots of trans performers Mm And it was not a thing that it was that was shared. It was basically like you just wanted to work and perform. And so thereby existing was a form of statement or a political statement, you know, doing radical social justice. Mm-hmm. But as a performer now, I think that we're really able to to shed a light on just how diverse the community is or how diverse it could be, because obviously there's lots of short sightedness when it comes to representation of POC performers, mm-hmm. the way that, you know, that, that white supremacy has rocked out all over the world and has just ruined so many things. But now in, in looking at inclusivity, how being able to identify and celebrate our identities allows for, allows for us to really start to, like I said, celebrate and make space for other people and to also real, realize where we could do better. Yeah. Being so open with your sexuality for in the beginning, like, like, did you experience any discrimination as a performer, like lack of bookings because of it, or you were only booked for certain gigs because you kind of were open about this is who I am? And of course, sometimes with anything, well, with burlesque being an art form that in its nature with striptease, sometimes a lot of people have a preconception that it's something that is done for in a very cis heteronormative fashion, you know, like it's women dancing for men. Right, right. And it's interesting. One of the main taglines or kind of like the uh, elevator speeches that I would give people when I started doing burlesque was that it was a reclamation of 
of sexuality. I would say female sexuality at the time, but now it's obviously broadened, but it's that reclamation of sexuality that we are actually performing our own desire and for our own delight. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and who that attention goes to changes. Of course, while people are watching, the goal of an audience member is to, is to hope that you are performing to them. It's kind of like when you're sitting at a concert and Beyonce looks, you know, a hundred feet over your head and you feel like she just looked into your heart Mm -hmm. that you're like, yes, me, that was for me. It's the same sort of experience, of course, that you want to to give an audience member. And as I was saying with burlesque, I was saying that it was a reclamation of, of that sexuality and sensuality. And so it was a lot of time, like, yes, men mostly think that everything that we do is for them. And it was nice to be able to perhaps draw them in for that reason, especially when they thought they were coming to a burlesque show that was going to be a different experience, like going down to the strip club, which obviously is its own beautiful thing, Mm -hmm. but obviously slightly different presented, and then allowing that space for them to be educated about what we are going to do and and then they would enjoy it. That's a perfect uh, little segue, actually. You've referred to performing on stage as a combination of sex and meditation. Can you elaborate on this? I think that it took me a long time. Like the more that I started to do burlesque and realize like after you've been in it for a while and you can kind of deconstruct it, especially as I started to to tour more and give give workshops and people ask you to to share things and you start to look at deconstructing what you do and to be able to present it. And I realized that I had shifted in the way that I approached stepping on stage and wanted it not to be like, of course, burlesque is, it's all of these things about sexuality and sensuality and presentation, but it's also presenting uh, fantasy on stage. And I enjoy that. And I also have difficulty with that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about that later, obviously, when we talk about burlesque as it is now. But I wanted it not to be a separation from who I was in my daily life. I wanted the process of how I approached burlesque to influence or impact how I walk in the world in general. So I started to look at how I could make my preparation for the stage become a ritual um, mm-hmm. And, and a meditative process and then entering that space where it's not that you're faking it till you make it, but you actually enter the space of, of extreme presence that being out on the stage does feel like a moving meditation mm-hmm. and that you are completely connected with the present moment rather than getting off a stage like I used to do and be like, well, I'm naked, <laughs> so it must have <laughs> happened, but I don't remember anything from when I stepped on the stage. Okay. You're a seven-time competitor at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. 2017 Princess of Burlesque, the Duchess of Burlesque in 2016, and in 2013 the most dazzling dancer. Like, is yeah. your pe- is your preparation for competition any different to that of your regular gigs? Uh, yes. I mean, as I can, like I was saying, as I continue to evolve into the art and and who I am as an artist, I am taking the preparation for competition to apply it to my regular gigs, you know, when we actually have them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the great thing about the competition, what it's done for me is that it allowed me, it gave me kind of the goalpost where had I not had that, that space to bring my best to the stage, I don't know that I would have pushed myself to the degree that I did. Where it's like when we're getting ready for a competition or a festival, you want to bring you want to bring your A game. You want to bring mm-hmm. the best of the best. It's like it's not even about like, oh, I want to be better than so-and-so. It's really a space of, for myself, 
Um, what is it like if I allow my space to, or myself the space to completely prepare in all ways possible? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just taking the opening up more time for, it's like the preparation for stage being a ritual or an art in of itself, and then just really enjoying the process deeply. Where it's like, yes, does that spot need an- another rhinestone? Probably. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. The <laughs> can details. you? Right? Can the you? Can you do that? And I, <laughs> and I used to be so anti that. I mean, for other reasons, because I was like, oh, rebellious, and also coming from a kid of different class system, I was like, oh gosh, you know, like, does it have to be encrusted? That seems so classist or whatever. But it's like, no, it's part of the illusion, mm-hmm. and. You kind of lean into where it's like also sparkles are fun so why not and rather than saying like well i did the best i could with the little i had or with what i brought how about not limiting ourselves and saying what does it look like if i have completely planned for success in all the ways that i can consider that's oh, very well said <laughs> <laughs> so i mean when participating in such a prestigious festival and then also you're having so many titles behind your name already is the ultimate prize the crown of Miss Exotic World or is that just a bonus to the overall experience? Mm, I think it's a bonus to the overall experience. It used to be like for so many people, it's that is the the highest thing that you could do is to to get on that stage. And I've been able to do that. And it definitely feels like a greatest honor and a biggest win. But I think it's I think it's just a bonus because as I've been in the industry longer and as I've been able to participate in Behoff longer, mm-hmm. uh, I think that my goals have kind of changed where like eventually what I would like to do is either, you know, if I get a crown, great. And if I don't, I'm really looking forward to eventually one day, you know, being part of the change that you wish to see in the world. I want to sit on the Behoff board. Mm-hmm. I have, been, you know, I've been working with the legends since mm-hmm. 2012 and that has completely shifted how I view value in the art form, having so much time and and personal experience with them. And so uh, the crown is great. And also I look at it as a a gateway if it happens to be able to impact greater change. As a self-described burlesque super fan, Mm -hmm. um, producing the Titans of Tea's Legend Showcase, as you mentioned, at Behoff. Mm-hmm. I mean, this must definitely be a career highlight. Like, what are your biggest takeaways from this experience as head of Legend Matters? It's been the highlight of my career in general. Uh, being able to... I mean, I love performing. I love performing so much, and I love being able to travel and have all the time in the spotlight myself. But there's been something about really having the experience with all of these incredible humans who paved the way, paved the way not necessarily because they were looking to to be trailblazers because it's like Miss Tony Elling had said, like she was just trying to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, right. And so holding a space, cultivating space or helping just to support an, an, an arena where we are celebrating our elders in a, in, in a way that our society normally doesn't. And shifting how we perceive sexiness Mm -hmm. and sensuality as we age and also realizing that a 93 year old is just as naughty and (laughs) foul-mouthed and amazing or elegant and breathtaking as a 23 year old Mm -hmm. like working with the legends has just been my greatest honor and to be able to help set a stage where you watch everybody come together and celebrate one another and these people to be celebrated. And then to also play a part of coordinating like their final bows, Mm. because 
I won't talk about it too much because it'll make me super teary, but when yeah. people ask me like what the greatest accomplishment of my burlesque career has been so far, I would say like the most rewarding to me was the process I had with Camille 2000 mm-hmm. uh, last year of visiting her in February as she had her terminal diagnosis for cancer and then telling her while I was doing her dishes and cleaning up her house, <laughs> like if you can make it until June, mama, you're going to, you're going to close the show. Yeah. And a small team of us doing all that we could to get her out there so that she could have that final stage time with, you know, with the community that loved her and then Mm-hmm. to watch everybody else respond. It was just a beautiful way to help people to, to, to be sent off or to have your last experience. And of course, she passed away a few months later. Yeah, that must be so amazing. At the, I just recently now in lockdown came across that documentary, um, League of Exotic Dancers, and it had like Tony and Camille, like they were all in there. <sighs> and like watching it, I had like, one could just feel the energy um, from the way they spoke and, you know, like just where they mind was at then and now and i don't know like for watching women all like 70 80 plus like Mm -hmm. in in a documentary that's centered around them as previous dancers i don't know like i I just felt alive afterwards you know yes yes because they still had that in them like that fierceness like it wasn't like a far-fetched idea looking at this woman now and then showing us an older picture of them as the performer in the 60s. Absolutely. And funny enough, like the first time I saw a legend, like a full legend showcase, the first time you watch, you're just kind of like, oh, hooray, like, yay. You think almost like, yay, grandma, go. And then you, that you're set, like, you're like, hooray for you for getting up there and I'm going to hold that space for you. But then within just moments, you you have your whole definition, like I said, of what power and sexiness is. And mm-hmm. you realize that a human, a woman who has been in her body for 80 years in mm-hmm. full like control of her sexuality has more power in a shoulder roll or like a, like a little wink and a smile than a young person doing like a full split or something on stage. Like there's just so much contained there. And we see just how much more power is amplified as people age. So yes, in that show and just being around the legends, you see that there's just there's still so much there and they have so much more power and all of that has completely amplified it's just a matter of how we as a society or as individuals view sexuality and power and desirability as we age which i said thanks to them has definitely changed it for me yeah well they are definitely in good hands it would seem one of your uh, signature acts is feline fatal a tribute Mm -hmm. to catwoman like did you use any elements of previous cinematic portrayals of this character in your creation of the act? I mean, I loved every representation prior of Catwoman, mm-hmm. but for that particular one, I was stepping into the space of me as a, is crossing over into the kink world and the fetish world, being mm-hmm. that I run the largest when things are open, that I run a, a large BDSM event here in the Twin Cities. And so it was really also fun for me to be like, okay, as I step into this uh, expanded role in this community, how can I also bring that into my burlesque world? Because of course we like to bring that intersection. We like to like bring all aspects of ourselves into our performance. And so there were no cinematic things that I had uh, mm-hmm. that I had brought in other than just when I tell people uh, what kind of lighting I would like to give me like, Gotham City rooftop mm-hmm. sex or or back alley orgy. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, basically give me lighting where people don't know if, they, if I might fight them or fuck them. Like, yes, please. <laughs> I think that's probably one of my favorite things, like working the behind the scenes producer side of things, you know, and then handling all the tech stuff is getting that kind of things from artists. Because if you just hand that to a technician, sometimes they, don't, they look at me and they're like, they don't know what to do with it. It's like, fine, I'll tell you where to go with it. You know, <laughs> I know exactly what they're trying to tell me. And literally, you know, everybody's submissions that come in have all exactly these moods. Exactly. And okay. so, so that's where I go with with that. It's been, cool. it's been fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean, after seeing the video uh, version, the filmed version of that on Miss Tasha's Creature Feature, um, oh, that yes. was the other day, like Sweet Pea is actually now my favorite version of Catwoman. <laughs> oh, that's an honor. Why I asked is because there are elements of every single of representation of it that I've enjoyed from Michelle Pfeiffer to to Hella, to um, to Halle Berry, to the original Julie Newmar, mm -hmm. to Eartha. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. And Eartha. Let's not forget Eartha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 2013, you had an interview in 21st Century Burlesque where you said one of your biggest vices was when people ask you for favors and then you always end up saying yes, which leaves you with the plate that overfloweth. <laughs> yes yeah so i was mm -hmm. just wondering how did you reclaim this the yes word in your work as a professional dominatrix yes queen p oh yes well if that that tagline came along or like the little hashtag came along as i began hosting my event and i would ask the audience questions and mm -hmm. being being the dominant in the room the person that's running the show if i asked them a question i just didn't i didn't want just an applause and so i got the call and response to be when i ask you a question if the answer is affirmative you respond with yes queen p mm -hmm. and so anytime i ask questions whether it's on stage or in session the response is you know yes queen p yes mistress your majesty whatever that you know their response is mm -hmm. and so Yes, I have reclaimed, I have reclaimed that by saying, like, by obviously having other people affirm and, and answer to me. And also in, as we age, you know, seven years later, as we grow and learn better boundaries and how that also allows for the yes to be more accessible and affirming. Uh, I say yes to fewer things and have clear yeses when I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Did being in the King community help you with that affliction? <laughs> I, um, I think that, yes, stepping into that, actually what it has been is that being that I enjoy different realms of things. So between the guys straddling the burlesque stage and the, the exotic dance stage and then the dungeon has allowed me to help with my affliction because time is, there's only so much time in a day mm -hmm. that you have to really decide what what sparks joy what brings mm -hmm. what, what brings that bell of joy in your underpants as one of my co-producers likes to say <laughs> and to be able then to identify like what you really want to to take on and say yes to mm -hmm. so did kink help me say yes or learn how to say yes to more things absolutely i mean especially in not only choosing to prioritize more time for it but in being able to be around that community that is so much about speaking exactly what it is that you want and creating those beautiful boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like that radical honesty is a, is a very inspiring thing. Cool. And I mean, you've successfully executed um, your vision for burlesque through your diverse productions like Kinky Friday, Minneapolis, the best mm -hmm. the, um, of Midwest Burlesque Festival, 
and grown and sexy pride yes yeah these are such fun productions like what can we expect from these productions in the foreseeable future like oh will they be seeing the light of the stage again i think that i'm open to what the world is going to look like and how i need to show up in it when things resume would I, like I'm definitely looking forward to producing again because I like creating stage as much as I like being on them and I love having spaces for community to gather whether it is a big queer dance party or a kink party or a burlesque show so I'm going to see what see what the world looks like when we get to gather again and take it from there take my lead from from there but yes I want to get back on stage and create stages stages and have amazing shows mm-hmm. absolutely like, what has your focus been on um, throughout this pandemic and then now sort of as like 2020 draws to a close as a burlesque artist? Sure. Like the first, I'm an introvert by heart, which is fun because most people are like, how are you doing spending all this time alone and not on stage or whatever? Are you having a meltdown? And mm-hmm. for the longest time, I said no, because something that had been missing from the prioritizing in my own personal space was the slow time, the time for introspection. I was so caught up in the momentum of my career that I wasn't going to say no to while people are booking me and, and, you know, flying places and being able to host events that now I was suddenly offered this pause to be Mm -hmm. able to, to reflect, to catch up, to do all these things. So I did that time of like intense backlog catching up of cleaning house, of course, like all of us did. Mm -hmm. And then of really looking at, uh, as I mentioned earlier, going back to the the art and the ritual of how we approach our art. And so I was looking at going back to rituals that I hadn't done because I was just so busy. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd hit admin responsibility or start costuming or whatever. And so without any of that, I was going back to, to morning meditations and writing and all of these things where I looked at it. It's like, yes, I'm not performing right now, but I'm not going to fear that whole like if I have to stay relevant what I'm really going to do is make sure that I'm showing up for myself more and helping myself grow and evolve in this time and then when I come back to the art or as I'm able to give back to the art then it's going to be influenced by a fuller me with Mm -hmm. by by an evolved me fantastic as a burlesque artist extraordinaire dominatrix producer at sovereignties certified mm-hmm. like lifestyle coach how, like how do you navigate the question when you meet new people and they're like so what do you do for a living oh that's fun for me I don't have I, I usually enjoy telling people that I'm a I'm a burlesque dancer mm-hmm. or I'll tell people that I'm a sh- you know that I'm a showgirl or a performer and if they ask more then they can get more but it's a I'm not in very many realms where I have to censor that and especially being in the twin cities in in minneapolis i've been here for so long that i actually enjoy having um not i wouldn't say notoriety but you know Mm -hmm. people know who i am i enjoy going out to the store and be like oh you know are you sweet pea then i'm like yes "Yes, thank you (laughs) and then having people share with me where they know me from whether it's you know grown and sexy on a dance floor or at a burlesque show or at the kink event and then um, what can we expect from you for the foreseeable future? You can expect for me to continue to, in, to enjoy my art and to celebrate our community and to show up in the ways that the world needs. What I really love about 
the current era of burlesque is that it, it also encompasses this, uh, this microcosm of, of the world that we want to create, like of this social justice, racial justice, environmental justice that we want to embrace and, and inhabit. And so I look forward to continuing to move forward in the world and in my art with that mindfulness and then, and then continue to create from a space of, of joy. Mm-hmm. And whatever that looks like, like I said, because everything is evolving right now, just more acts, more art, um, and also focusing on on wellness. Since we're looking at healing for the for our country, at least right now, I'm actually doing a lot to uh, to work in people's wellness space. So I've created an online wellness course for folks that will be opening uh, soon. The health hussy. The health hussy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find, um, where can people find and connect with the work that you're doing? Oh, the website is the easiest, uh, thesweetpea or thesweetpea.com. Mm-hmm. And then it has links for everything else on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not as great at yet. And then all the other links that are available. Cool. So thank you very much, uh, Sweet Pea, for joining me on this episode of What's a Tease. You've been an amazing guest and you live up to... Um, your sovereign title for sure. Thank you very much for having me. And I look forward to listening to our episode and many more.